You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Reality Check Radio. Welcome back to Counterculture here on Reality Check Radio. You're with Marie and, of course, Marty joins me now for Media Matters. Good morning, Marty. How are you? Oh, good morning, Marie. How are you doing? I'm doing rather well and we've both got sunshine, which is good. Yes. Yeah. New Zealand's Florida, turning it on. And the Papadopoulos. I tell you what, if you needed to go on a diet, the weekend's papers would have served you quite well this weekend, except if you were Winston Peters. And it was quite funny, both you and I noticed the same thing. And I have to say, if elections were won on column inches, he may as well be dusting off that desk plaque right now. Man, did he get some column inches over the weekend. Yeah, it's David Seymour's uh, billboard all over again. He's there looking dapper. They're slagging him off, but you can't see anything but that uh, double-breasted pinstripe suit and that smile. Luke Malpas from The Post had my favourite quote of all the pieces over the weekend. The headline is Labor's starting to lurch into last gasp territory, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But this is in regards to Winston. Crucially, however, on this poll conducted by Curia, the National Party pollsters, we discussed that in Political Agenda on Friday, Peters would not be in a position of kingmaker. National and Act will have 61 seats together, enough to form a government without the Keith Richards of New Zealand politics, one who cannot be killed by conventional methods. Ah, right. And he is the Keith Richards of New Zealand politics. Did you catch the Cam Slater interview on The Crunch with Lee Donahue? Yes. I thought that guy, I'd never really understood this. I thought he gave an explanation for why Winston Peters didn't betray New Zealand that I'd never heard before when he went with Labour. And that was that it was a decision made by Peters, the board, and members. Mm. The people who voted, voted for him. It's a, it was a very democratic process. Democracy, what a novel concept. Yeah, populism. Mm. Mm. We've got to crush it. Reality Check Radio has been getting hammered. We're getting accused of promoting New Zealand first or being, you know, being their, uh, would you say, stalking horses, wouldn't you say? But I've never voted for New Zealand first. And I felt the sting of him putting the marks of student politicians who'd never had a real job that didn't involve moving up the conga line of suck holes as keenly as anyone. Yeah, it's slim pickings. It is slim pickings. Elsewhere. It's not for wanting more choice that I would vote for them. Mm. Again, two votes. Everybody has two votes. I can't express this enough. We've all got two votes. And that's the one positive thing with an MMP, because I think we have the ability to be able to express ourselves in two different ways, because that is actually allowed. And I'm getting to the point where my candidate vote is going to be the vote with the heart. That is going to be the vote for the the individual and the person that really speaks to me and speaks to my values that I really like. And I know they haven't got a shit show in hell of winning the seat in Napier. I know right. that. But you know what? I will feel, I'll hold my head up high to, to be able to say when I see them, you know what, I did actually give you my vote. And I gave you the vote because I really agree with what you stand for. Right. If you could take a punt and then specify where you'd vote would go if the person you voted for didn't make it. Well, that's STV, isn't it? Yes, yeah, single transferable vote, I think it is. Mm. I didn't catch that. Gowd, is it Sue Gowdy? Um, Sandra Gowdy, she Sandra, wrote a sorry. really good blog post. And so she's a former politician and she's also um, the very famous mayor of 
Thames in Coromandel who famously chose not to get vaccinated and which of course created all sorts of ructions when they um, the council, she couldn't attend council meetings in person because she didn't have a vaccine pass. She wrote a really good post and what it discusses is where those wasted votes go. We've discussed here, and the number I've seen is either 7.8 or 7.9% of votes at the last election got unallocated to a party that entered parliament. Now, about 40% of those were Winston's votes because, of course, we know he didn't, he didn't get in. The rest of those votes get allocated amongst the other parties. She actually summarised it really well. 7.9 was the number she had. It's around 225,000 votes across a variety of different parties. But what it meant is those votes gave Labour five more MPs, gave National three more MPs. And this is where the party vote, I believe, will be crucial this election because when you've got on the polls, polls that are showing the block, the right block between National and Act, sitting anywhere between 60 and 61 seats, if your vote falls outside of that zone, all you will be doing is strengthening that block that you may necessarily not, not want to vote for. So you're actually inadvertently giving Labour and the Greens National and Act additional MPs. And so I think that's where candidate vote with my heart and party vote with my head will come in. And I will need to look very, very clearly at those polls, who is likely to be there, essentially who is going to be the scorpion that I could stomach to give a vote to, to at least get a number of the policies that are important to me across the line. I'm not I, I there guess, yet, people, by the way. I'm still in <laughs> research mode. Well, there's there's a, a, a long way to go, even though it's – how many weeks is it now? Gosh, 14th of October. So we've just clipped over two, mo- uh, 14, yeah, two months. Two months, yeah, right. Mm. A week's a long time in politics. Yeah, a week is a very long time in politics. But they're starting to – you know, we always talk about looking for trends in, in polls. I mean – and there's intimations that Labour Party's pollsters are going to come up with a, a story that's going to make everyone chippier or chipper on the left. But the Reed Research poll had National and Act together on 63 at the last at the last poll. It, it's interesting to think what will happen if Labour go down further and Labour voters want to put a, a spanner in the works. Those votes potentially are going to go to Winston. I think Māori Party's votes could collapse if they're going to go anywhere could go to Winston Peters. Um, mm. They're only on 2.7% and they're down 0.8%. You know, the Māori vote is one that I think, pe- I mean, people always forget the Māori vote. And Party Māori do not speak for all Māori. We know this. But neither does Labour these days. Winston still has, you know, he resonates there. I mean, he held, it wasn't that long ago that he held, held five of those seats. Yeah. So if you're still sitting on the Māori roll and you're feeling a little bit disillusioned about what the offerings are, there's more votes there to be had. But again, it's where you have your heart and your head. And that's what I love. That's what I'm enjoying about speaking to these political leaders. Sue Gray is standing in West Coast Tasman, which is a geographically very large electorate. You know, there's a lot of people who are very environmentally and free-minded. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, she she can actually campaign and do really well there, better than many can expect. When was the last time you heard the Greens talk about um, environmental issues apart from 
James Shaw flying around the world begging for New Zealand to pay $2 billion, which is co- coincidentally what BlackRock are setting up their uh, fund aiming for, including agriculture and our emissions is going to be about $1.9 billion a year. You know, and so it's really funny to see them talking about taxing the rich, and, but that's that's about as environmental as they get. And, mm. oh, they give me the creeps. Marama Davidson gives me the creeps. You can hear those speeches Lenin made urging for people to rape and murder the kulaks, which they did, just mm. building up that resentment and hate. She's a prime example of that Māori elite. Her father was a well-known New Zealand broadcaster. Rawiri Parati. I loved him when I was a kid. I really loved watching him and Ollie. You know, there were some really awesome Māori presenters when I was a kid. Mm. Yeah. You know, she's part of that that elite, and they really have completely lost touch with what's going on in those really diverse rural electorates. And and then again, Hana Tamaki, you know, when I spoke to her, Tamaki for Tamaki, she's standing in Tamaki Makaro, and, you know, she said too, there is uh, plenty of hardship going on there as well, and there's lots of dissolving of families, and crime is a massive issue, and all of these very specific urban problems which Māori face in electorates like that and that's where candidates like both of Sue and Hana I think standing and being very clever about their where to stand and resonating with an electorate actually may bear more fruit there as individual candidates and particularly Hana I mean this is like her third election she's she's not going anywhere she's she's enjoying it she she wants to get out there you know it's a bit of stickability Sue's the same I will keep saying this. The fact that no, well, I won't say no Māori leaders because undoubtedly there will be. If you look at all of the passing cars they're barking at, you always find yourself thinking, why aren't you more upset that only 3% of kids who go through 10 years in a decile one school can pass a basic reading, writing and maths test, NCA test? You know, 3%, 97% are failed by that system. And that's the wellspring mm. for all your health problems, all your a, a lot of crime, a lot of the prison imprisonment rate. Mm. And I guess that comes back to how you know we're trapped in these three year electoral cycles. So it's not worth anyone really giving a crap about it. But I see and, the kids and the leaders in that space do not hold the politics. I mean, just look at Elizabeth Router, and she's spoken to Rodney on Real Talk. Yeah. It'd be great if she got into Parliament, wouldn't it? I, I don't think she's. Yeah, well, I think she. I think she'd make a, a lot more positive change than Kitty Kitty. Just saying. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, it's the it's the bit that they that they never acknowledge. And as I said in my last column, and I'm certainly uh, due to write write another one. If we look at what traditional Maori leadership looked like, it was the rangatira, and they essentially owned everything. Although they deny that it was ownership in a conventional European meaning of the word, and the tutua, you know, they uh, just went along to get along and they didn't want to stick up for the slaves because their position may have felt precarious enough. If you look at it from that perspective, it suits the rangatira just fine if the tutua, the common people, are poorly educated and can't think critically and enough to realise how badly they're getting screwed. Mm. Speaking of getting screwed, uh, do you get the feeling that Chippy's running out of ideas? I listened to an interview, it might have been on the spin-off podcast, I'm just trying to think of who it was interviewed, and I apologise. He, um, he said two things, he said his uh, ideas hadn't changed much since he was a Marxist student politician, although well, he didn't say he was a Marxist student politician, 
but he also said that as he'd gotten older, he'd sort of seen things in a more nuanced way, you know, less black and white. And I guess that's the reality of um, being the prime minister. And it's just a shame that he couldn't have arrived at that state before he was in politics. Mm. When you look at the fact that they tanked that Nicola Willis policy around the flexibility and yeah. the maternity leave payment. I mean, how many original ideas can he have? He doesn't oh, know crap. I'm cynical. I reckon that came out of the biscuit tin. He took one look at that and thought, oh, gosh, well, no, we can't have that because yep. that's actually a really good idea and we need to do something better. And that's the whole reason why it was tanked. And what they've now gone and put out is saying, oh, no, 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 we're going to do it for both sets of parents, for fathers to now be able to take that that leave and we'll do that paid leave as well because mm. it's so important. The cynical part of me can't help but feeling that that is also a little bit of a let's keep our rainbow vote happy. You know, oh, all those really? double dad households. The rainbow ha- vote happy in that way? Oh, right. Okay. The, the double dad households, yeah. For pregnant fathers. Yeah, those pregnant fathers, you know. Yeah, they're, well, they're he said uh, in another interview, um, I think it was on Tuesday, he's, it might have been on AM, he said, we're totally focused on winning. That's the quiet part out loud. And as I've said, New Zealanders would be absolutely horrified at how little of what the Labour Party is doing is to benefit New Zealand. It's all for Labour. Mm, that's that's how labor. tribal Labour people think. Mm. The ends justify the means, comrade. Yeah, and the media too have gotten themselves into quite a, you know, quite a wee spin, particularly the ones that the lovey's done in Wellington. We, Charlie, I think Charlie spends a lot of time listening to RCR. Good on you, Charlie. We really do appreciate Hi, Charlie. it. How Hi, you? Charlie. Of course, the article essentially an attack piece on Kirsten Murfitt. Mm. And Michael I just doing his Grandpa Simpson as a young man uh, impression. I just sort of looked at that whole piece, and I just was the childishness of it just smacked. I just thought, wow, you know, this is this what we've come to mm. to actually take a candidate and you're now having to go through all these other New Zealand first candidates and you've turned into that person, other student Marxist politicians or social justice warriors. This is a favourite thing that they do is you go trawling through these social media accounts. Someone once said, where we go one, we go all once on a post. It's like, it's just like, really, Charlie, this is your in-depth journalism is trawling someone's social media accounts. When Mm. when you know something about a subject when you've worked in it, it really brings home to you how unfit for purpose so much journalism is. So, you know, I've got a degree in science that uh, took in a lot of geology. So, you know, I've been able to use that as a lens to look at the climate hysteria through. You know, I've been in business and so can look at the green parties. Oh, we're just going to take money off rich people and spread it around. Once the poor people have got money, they'll be fine. You know, the, and I know Kirsten Murfitt reasonably well, reading something that characterised her in the way it did, and with such a childishly unflattering photo of her. Deliberately so. You realise just the cynical nature of the game that these drones are playing on us. Mm. They're baying to the gallery as well. It's the sort of article that, and I loved it, what was it, the so-called freedom movement? Yeah. The so-called yeah. freedom movement. Well, I mean, oh. you, you go through it, and you know, he didn't refute any of the things that they were talking about, he just detailed them off in a scoffing way. So much of it involves sinister global plots supposedly seeping from groups like the World Economic Forum to oppress and control the population. It's like, 
These guys say they've penetrated our cabinets. Our last two uh, prime ministers have been graduates of the World Economic Forum's Young Global Leaders program. The media never talks about it. And then they characterize anyone who does as crazy. Sadly, that's enough to get a lot of Kiwis to go, man, run back to the paddock. Yeah, it doesn't do anything to um, assuage this uneasy feeling you get when you realize you're getting conned. And Tracy Watkins, I actually thought, summed it up quite well in the Sunday Star Times. So, again, further along. Uh, And her piece was, has Peter's gone too far this time? So, you know, referring back to the, the feature piece, he has done what he does best and scooped up disenfranchised voters, marginalised by vaccines and mandates. If on the face of it it looks like Peters has fallen down the same rabbit hole as many of his newfound supporters, then look again, because as always with Peters, it's probably not what it seems. The anti-vax and anti-mandate movement has always been bigger than the establishment, including those of us in the media, previously realised or acknowledged. Do you think Who would have thought that people that? would have been against pregnant women being given an experimental gene therapy on the basis of trials in lab rats? I know. Crazy Peter, talk. Peters has cannily given them a legitimate political vehicle on which to hitch their protest vote, and in doing so, has given them a valve through which to vent their anger. Voting for him is the alternative to throwing paving stones at police on the steps of parliament. It's probably a good thing. Speaks mm. to how careful you've got to be when you're doing this sort of thing, just to hold the course and don't do dumb stuff because people like this will pick back through it. And sometimes when you feel powerless, you do get pulled off balance more easily. I'm pretty careful not to because I started pulling the cards out of this house of cards about 25 years ago when I started reading about how privileged few get to print money and everything flows downstream from that. So black rocks downstream from that and so on and then she urges at the end probably what motivates winston peters most is leaving new zealand first as his legacy having never accepted that the party is doomed to die with him but die it will unless he cleans house before the election now just getting back to me saying i know kirsten personally my wife and i are friends with her and her husband we have been to their place for dinner they've been to ours she is fantastic. She is the sort of person I want to see in Parliament. She's capable, she's intelligent, she's ethical, she's a really, really nice person. She didn't want this fight, but she found herself stepping into the gap. Mm. You know, her open letters to Parliament are really worth look, looking up. Maybe we should attach attach them to this. They're incredibly carefully put together and fact-based. And, you know, I, I wish she had have sent these guys who said, oh, you know, Murphy wouldn't comment when asked. She should have sent them that. But I think New Zealand First had wanted to handle it as a party. But I've only exchanged a couple of texts with her about it. You know, I asked her about, you know, it seemed to imply that they were ready to throw her under the bus. And she said, no, the party's been fantastic. Mm. The thing with that is, as they said, they, she's just, they've discovered how large this quote-unquote disenfranchised voter base that they're calling the likes of us are. But it's almost like this disparaging condescension that we do live in a democracy, people. We are actually entitled to vote and have candidates that we feel representing us as opposed to this uniparty that we've had for the last three years of politicians 
who all spend each time trying to wrestle across a centre, all bleat with the same chants and mantras when it suits them. I mean, the reality of it is, is it is around democracy. And, you know, whether we vote for a really small party, or whether we vote for a bigger party, whether we vote, choose to put our lot in with, with Winston or not, that's entirely up to us. But that sort of disparaging condescension that, oh, you know. Oh, Populism. Pop, yeah, we can't do it. Well, actually, yeah, we can. And all of those people that went to Parliament, actually, there were a lot of voices that went. I went to the November protest. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of people just yeah. wanting to have their voices heard. They do that when they feel their voices have been shut down and silenced. Again, you know, when you know something about something, that the media coverage becomes more sinister. You know, all the people I've met in the in the so-called freedom movement have been fantastic people. They've been really intelligent, thoughtful, sober people. And the, and the interactions between them are really what you want to see between people. I notice the men and women are different. Women are, you know, it's, it's a really tough thing to articulate, but the women are very strong, very capable, and very feminine. And that calls forth a healthy masculinity from men. It, it's it is the parallel culture that emerges after the uh, existing culture finally collapses in a heap. Um, there was also, did you see the Claire Trevat thing? Uh, Trevat also, you know, talked about Winston Peters. There remains a significant chunk of the po population who are angry about something. It used to be COVID. Now it is a more general frustration: the cost of living, the crime, anything. It's a very, very twee way of dismissing the fact that New Zealand is dealing with a uncharacteristically high excess death rate of, according to some data that uh, I've seen from the OECD, could be 25% greater than expected. You know, it used to be COVID. It's like saying, oh, you know, COVID calls, caused all these problems. The government's reaction to COVID caused the problems. Mm. I mean, you know, you can appreciate when people are waving around that it could be the Spanish flu, you can understand why you'd get worried, but you really want an open town square and you really want to be assured that the government's looking at all data and uh, the, the pharmaceutical industries aren't pulling their strings. And I, I've just finished watching that Netflix series, Painkiller. I recommend people watch it to, to see how nefarious those, the big pharma psychopaths are. Mm, Further so down that Claire Trevat article, she said, National has also very successfully managed to seed the perception, and in some cases the reality, that Labour has a problem with delivering. That's yes. the understatement of the year. <laughs> Show me the progress. Oh Show me goodness. the progress. Oh, my goodness. Weird week in the papers. What it has been that? a weird week. No, what I was going to say with that was – I do have a bit of a theory around why the media is starting to get a little bit fractious with this, other than the fact that he could be back. In Invercargill, someone asked him about the disinformation project in the meeting down there, Winston. As he said, well, he wants to look into that and get rid of it, essentially. He doesn't see the purpose of it. And the thing is, is that he's calling, he wants a proper COVID inquiry. I think the disinformation project would certainly be in it. And I think the media are running scared because they know that once those first cards start to fall, yeah, they are up to this, up to the They've got the sleeves caught in that machinery. Exactly. I mean, stuff, just uh, 
thought of this, so I should have grabbed the figure, but I think it was like they're, they're into the government for $6.5 or something from the Public Interest Journalism Fund. And that's before you even look at the fact that the government paid full rack price for every whole page ad. Mm-hmm. That, that That's something that escapes um, the notice when people are talking about the extent to which New Zealand's media were paid off to turn the alarms off in the mine. Mm. So we didn't have actual discussion and actual examination of actual data. Mm. I, I mean, the nice thing, well, it's not the nice thing, the thing now about two months out from the election, we're at what I call the fairy tale stage of the election campaign where everybody starts t- telling fairy tales. And then you've got the fairy tales. I think, st- I mean, Stephen Joyce covered it quite well. Light rail, a fantasy that's going nowhere fast. We are at that fairy tale stage. I mean, we have been told fairy tale after fairy tale after fairy tale from this government for the last three years. Oh, is this where I get to play my clip? You go don't on. Do enough audio clips. Whenever I think of that 30% of Kiwis who still think New Zealand's going in the right direction, I always think back to that scene in The Matrix where uh, the guy's eating the steak. Do we have a deal, Mr. Reagan? You know, I know this steak doesn't exist. I know that when I put it in my mouth... The Matrix is telling my brain that it is juicy and delicious. And there will be light rail. After nine years. Up to six years. You know what I realize? (sighs) Ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. It's almost like the epitaph on the tombstone, really. I'm just going to read the last few paragraphs on this on light rail. And, I mean, you can insert... Kiwi build, because who can forget Kiwi build? You can insert any of these other elements. That were done uh, on a whiteboard when they finally yeah. suddenly realised, oh, my God, we, we haven't been working on policy because we're never going to get in. Now we've got to come up with something. Mm. A new harbour crossings. I mean, look, there's a million and one things. Light rail on the Auckland Isthmus is currently budgeted to cost a whopping $15 billion, but Treasury thinks it could be $30 billion. Light rail across the harbour and up to the shore is apparently a further to 20 to $30 billion. The light rail plans in Wellington are so far going to cost $7.4 billion and likely to grow to double that. These are silly numbers in a country and an economy the size of New, of New Zealand. I actually don't know why they stopped there. It's all imaginary. So why not announce light rail to Pakaranga, Manurewa, Otara and the same? What have those suburbs done to offend the mythical light rail gods? And why doesn't New Plymouth get light rail? It would be great to see all of those trams heading down Devon Street. My father's generation has a saying about a person having a champagne tastes on a beer budget. When it comes to transport, the left has Dom Perignon tastes on a carrot juice budget. Carrot juice is quite expensive, Stephen. You can. An interesting quote before they said, it is beyond me why you would make an announcement less than three months out from an election that does nothing but underline the failures of all your previous announcements in the same portfolio. And I guess that's chippy reset, I guess, the great reset. You know, it's, it's like, oh, we can start with some fresh ideas now. We've, we've got a whole fresh new new leader. Mm. Well, you know, <laughs> fresh ideas with the regurgitation of old ideas. Oh, I do have a segue with that. Ooh, fresh good. ideas with regurgitation of old ideas. And I flipped this to you digitally this morning, only because it took me ages to find it. Uh, as I said to you, I did get the post on the weekend. And I'm... I'm just going to touch on this because this is something that we have sort of talked about previously, and it's around health. There is a lot of work at the moment. There's a lot of stories. 
in the media at the moment about health and predominantly around very poor outcomes in health. Individual sad stories of people that are either not getting care, things getting misdiagnosed, excessive wait times, uh, doctors getting done DIC again, other doctors going up against disciplinary tribunal, and and you know another one with uh, drug and alcohol issues, which was a former acting chief medical officer. So it is just a litany of disaster. Digitally, I found this in the press, so I'll actually pop a link um, with our show notes uh, if people want to look this up. It was two two pages in the post on the weekend. Why is our health system on life support by Michael Wright? I'm impressed that they actually published it. It was a very frank piece. Phil Bagshaw, who was the founder of the Christchurch Charity Hospital, and if anybody has been around medical knows that Phil has been rather outspoken about medical management for decades. For Bagshaw, the neolib's biggest problem was the slavish devotion to efficiency. Really, he says, it's a pox on all their houses. I'm a dyed-in-the-wool socialist, but they've all fallen into the same idiotic ideas of trying to save money on health. So from somebody who has worked both in the public and private sector within health, I have to say I do see the benefits and understand the benefits of private medicine, and we will be here all day if we talk about free public socialised medicine in this country, yeah. and I think that's a, a much, much bigger fish for a much bigger day. But let's just take it and read and accept it. Honestly, that is a sacred cow that no one wants to touch in this country. He covers through the entire history in recent years of public health in this country and where things are starting to go downhill. And a lot of the reasons why we currently have now this litany of disasters laying out in front of us. I do find it quite hilarious that particularly with Bagshaw, as he said, he's a dyed-in-the-wall socialist. Like everything, these neolibs, as he likes to call it, but essentially the left touch, often things, as you said, you give the student politician a credit card and danger will ensue. Things start out as a really wonderful idealistic idea, mm. but it's a very hungry beast to feed. Human and nature intervenes. Exactly. And they have been stoking and feeding this beast for a long time. You then throw in the complications with demographics in the sense that the baby boomers are now at the expensive end of the equation. And those that are needing to fund and pay for that treatment, there ain't as many of them around due to the, the drops in birth rate. We've covered this on many issues before, but if you wanted to have a look at this, I actually think it's quite well worth it. There is a lot of information in here around the, the, the history, some of the battlegrounds, some of the players in previous years. And when it comes back to new and old ideas, to Fatu Ora is essentially everything in this piece, but with a little bit of extra modification on top. Yeah. There is no new ideas in health. And so if you are wondering why everything is looking so bad, it is essentially same shit, different day. So that uh, was it was a double pager in the post if you got it in hard copy and it appeared digitally in the press. And again, it's always unlinked to the fact that our union-approved education system is failing 97% of the poorest students in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. But the unions will be getting excited now because of the gender pay gap. I did find uh, Ali Mao's article on that. Oh, she was particularly, dare I say, bitchy. She's getting a bit unhinged, I think, old Ali Mao. You know, I sort of, we had that disagreement, although it was a virtual one because I've never spoken to her, but I was saying that women should be able to speak out without fear of men punching them in the face. And she was saying, hey, 
if they get lippy, they should accept that they've got what's coming, they get what's coming to them. Not the usual kind of approach I'd expect from uh, an ardent feminist, but you know, these are strange times. As you're digging around for that, one of the things I find around the gender pay gap, and I've never had an issue with gender pay gap. I mean, whenever I've negotiated for a a salary package, I've done it on the base of meritocracy, not on whether or not I've got clangers and a clacker. It's always been around (laughs) what I know and what I can do and what I can achieve. And and, And I just don't see what the outcomes are here because all I am seeing, particularly with this, in terms of these companies being asked to publish the pay rates and scales within a genderized system is it's a bit like sending a text message. You know, you can lose a lot of context when you're distilling everything down just to a few characters or a few numbers or a few lines. Yeah. And the gender pay gap for me is always something that's vastly more complicated. I know that um, I've been a contractor, an independent contractor for a really long time. I do that quite specifically because I need to have flexibility due to family and work-life balance. And women are, we are more aware of those work-life balance issues that we need to have. And so we want to be able to create that in order to be at those higher echelons of pay. If you're only looking at the number that people are being paid and not actually the conditions that may have also been negotiated. So you may drop back in terms of your your top baseline number of salary in order to get You don't do overtime. You don't move to places. Yeah, flexibility and conditions. You don't pick a field that pays more. Mm. So, you know, there's all of those little subtleties that don't get looked at. And I I really don't know. I don't know whether or not this is something that they're doing in order to make all of those very disgruntled, frigid women that are working in the public sector, making sure they don't miss out from their male colleagues. That's what the cynical Marie seems to think. But I don't know. What do you think? It'll come as a surprise to a lot of listeners to the show that to hear that I'm transgender. And, you know, I haven't mentioned it because there's still a lot of discrimination, but I'm an economic transsexual and that my wife earns a lot more money than than I do. The stigma and uh, and prejudice that I face, often from women, strangely enough, you know, I'm really doing my bit for the gender pay gap. I'm really taking it seriously and trying to help. Women often say to me, well, what do you do? And I'll run through what I do. And I'll say, well, you know, I make olive oil and I, I've got a carpet cleaning business. You know, we've got three kids. So I, I do well, most of the running around for the kids and cook all the meals and do all the cleaning. And there's a pause and they say, so you're a house husband. And they say it uh, with a similar kind of uh, accusatory tone that they might say, so you're a pimp. And I'm happy to consult to the Ministry for Women because I think I've the um, solution to all their problems. What I think we need to develop is a pill that makes women excited by paying for things. I think if you can sort of build that excitement in women to date men who earn less than them, the gender pay gap will resolve itself. Yeah, giving this theory to the wrong woman. Because- <laughs> <laughs> Oh my 
gosh. Um, It says here, Derek did say, according to the Ministry of Women, the gender pay gap has reduced steadily from 16.3% in 1998 to 9.1% in 2011, but has fluctuated over the past decade, and in the June 22 quarter was 9.2%. The majority, 80% of gender pay gap, is now driven by what the research calls unexplained factors, the Ministry said. These are harder to measure factors like conscious and unconscious bias differences in men's and women's choices and behaviours. Now, that is a very social justice way of actually saying that as women, money isn't always everything, and we actually do make decisions based around family, lifestyle, work-life balance more readily than what men do, because traditionally, often we're the ones that pick up those roles. So if you are in a traditional binary relationship between a male and a female and and you have a family, generally someone will pick up the financial slack. So in your house, it is uh, your wife, and then it's you. In this house, it has traditionally been my husband, but at the moment, things are all in a state of flux. He's He's an economic transsexual as well. He is is an economic. He's the E in the LGBTQ E. (laughs) Should we should we send Chanel a a memo that he needs to add an E? Actually, I should say I agreed with Chanel's column this week. Oh, same. He, I thought he nailed it. I think uh, he he's basically saying that uh, Nicola Willis should take over as leader, and uh, Christopher Luxon should be the deputy. I I think that's true. I think that would be the the thing to do. Mm. It would make him look great. Like women would love him. Where currently, you know, his greatest sin is that they're not, <laughs> they don't find him attractive because he doesn't have hair. That's another way I'm discriminated against. <laughs> oh, so you can't play the ball card, me either. You know, that doesn't work. Oh, I'm not going to go rifling through papers. There was another one there that was talking about how uh, a lot of voters, it was around, actually, no, I do remember because it was around non voting, people not wanting to vote, and how everybody just start, started looking like the same sort of bald-headed bobbleheads that were all sort of sitting on a car dashboard and it was very, very difficult to pick something out from the crowd and I have to admit, I did, did I feel a little bit about us. You just can't get elected Prime Minister if, you, if you're bald normally. Mm. Joe Biden was the only one who bucked the trend of if you want to know who's going to win the election, it's the candidate with more hair, which makes you wonder, well... Did he win the election? So speaking of the Bidens, um, you know, things, not that you would hear anything down here in uh, the current local media, but there's all sorts of pain going on. I mean, all you hear about here is Trump, 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 indictment, indictment, indictment. But uh, people being in a spot of legal bother. Yeah, there, there are none so blind as those that will not see. You know, I mean, we're up to about, I think they've got bank records of about $20 million that was paid, bank accounts connected to the Biden crime family. And they're in a Mexican standoff now, Obama and Biden, because Obama still is the brand of the Democrats. He's the golden child. They don't want Biden, but they can't let him drop out because if he does, he might start, even though he's got oatmeal for brains, he might might start singing. You know, they've, they've got the money guy. I mean, they've had the business guy, Devin Archer, who was described as the adult in the room. And another description on Fox News was Joe Biden was a product this company was selling. And now now they've got Eric Schwerin, I think it is, got a job from Obama, but had visited the Obama White House 36 times before. He was the money guy. So now he's talking. It's a race to keep this stuff from coming out. It's a race to keep 
dropping charges on Trump to keep him in the news and keep Biden out. But they're going to, you know, Schwerin was the guy who moved the money around. And yeah, they're really making sure that they, they don't want Biden to flip on Obama. And so there's, there's starting to be chatter that uh, Michelle Obama is, is uh, the candidate because she's going to put a lid on it. Again, uh, I said on last week's political panel, you know, the shocking thing isn't that Biden's a corrupt, senile pedophile. The terrible thing is that Democrat voters know all that and don't care. Mm. For me, the fact that New Zealand's media must know all that, New Zealand's politicians must know all that, they don't seem to care. So, you know, when you get people who are pointing this out characterized as being Fruit Loops or bad for just asking questions, it, yeah, it does make you nervous. Yeah, but there's the difficulty with having people who are ideologically driven first and people driven second. In terms yeah. of good news, though, we have had a little bit of good news, particularly um, with Kiwis doing well abroad uh, from a sporting perspective. I normally just can't stand sport. I, uh, I think it is the bread and circuses. Thing, but yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was yeah. lobbing you a lovely big open open I just ball. All over it, eh? A volley. Um, yeah, Scott Dixon, Van Gisberg. You know, there's we've got so many just criminally underrated and under celebrated Kiwi motorsport stars. There, there's again, this is something that I, sh- I should have had the names. And the fact I don't know the names, I guess, speaks to what I'm talking about. There were there have been Kiwis who've who've won or competed in the Isle of Man. Those guys, I mean, if you contrast what all blacks do with what someone who's riding in the Isle of Man does in terms of physical prowess and danger, good Lord. I went to have a look in a um, a motorhome yard a, a year or two ago, and there was a guy there who'd come seventh in the Isle of Man. But just the balls you need to have to do that. And Israel Adesanya. I mean, he's I think he's gaining traction, but what a great Kiwi that guy is. And, you know, the hangman hooker. Dan the hangman hooker. Those those, those guys are um, incredible. Mm. So, yeah, <laughs> that was my good news story. There you go. Well, there's always a lot to chew over. Of course, let's see how many column inches they give to Winston next week, shall we? Uh, we, we should actually set up a tracker, you know, like, like a little worm for, for yeah. news stories. That would be a, a bit of a giggle, really. If you like anything that you've heard or you've got stuff that you want to share with Marty and I, uh, do feel free to drop us a line, inbox at realitycheck.radio or 2057 is that text number. We'll do it all again next week, eh? Yeah. Have a great week. Thanks. All right, to talk to you then. More here to come. Mike News of the Week is up next here on Reality Check Radio here on Counterculture. You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Reality Check Radio.